Welcome to the Supermom is Getting Tired podcast. This show is designed for moms who invest everything into parenting, but get overwhelmed, lost, and resentful. Listen and learn how to unburden yourself, feel calm, full of energy, and in control. I'm your host, Master Certified Life Coach, Teacher, and Recovering Supermom, Tori Henderson. Hello, Supermoms. It's Tori Henderson. I've got a great show for you today. I am interviewing Ellie Noss of the Atomic Moms podcast. If you haven't listened to it, you should check it out. She's been doing it for a long time, and she's interviewed so many people. I was curious to hear what she's learned about parenting from all these podcasts that she's done. We talk about anxiety. She even uses the opportunity to have me coach her on what to do when her two-year-old says the word dumb in a really mean way. So if you've got a kid who says words that embarrass you or that you don't like, then tune in, listen to me coach Ellie on this episode. But before we get into it, I want to ask you a question. I want you to really think about the answer. Do you give more than you receive? Okay, maybe that's an easy question to answer. If you're listening to this podcast, the answer is probably yes. But let me ask you, what percentage do you give more than you receive? If you think that you give 80% or more to receiving 20% back, then I am going to suggest that you sign up for a free coaching call. It is imperative to take care of ourselves. It's just too easy to lose ourselves as moms in the hustle of everyday life. And when we get tired, when we give more than we receive, it drains our energy, we get resentful, and we don't show up in the way we want to as moms, as wives, as friends, as daughters. It just robs us of everything. And life coaching is the way to get back to yourself, back to the person you were before you had kids, back to the wife your husband married, and back to your dreams and your goals about what you want this time of your life to look like, to feel like, what you want to pursue. Life coaching is the best gift you can give to your children, to your husband, to give them a happy mom who loves her life and to role model what it looks like to go after your dreams. Like it's, I just cannot imagine a better gift to give you to your family. So if you're looking for a Christmas gift for yourself or you want to flip that ratio and receive as much as you give, think about New Year's resolutions, Christmas presents, Hanukkah gifts. Think about gifting yourself this gift of a happy, relaxed, peaceful, fulfilled mom. Go to lifecoachingforparents.com and tune in as you hear me interview the amazing Ellie Noss. You are listening to the Super Mom is Getting Tired podcast. I'm your host, Tori Henderson. And I have here with me today a special guest. I am here with Ellie Noss. And Ellie is the host of Atomic Moms podcast, probably the very first podcast I ever listened to. (laughs) So Ellie, welcome to the show. It makes me sound ancient. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you're not, but you have been podcasting for a good number of years. When did you start? Yes, 2014. So we are celebrating our five-year anniversary which is crazy because that means that my daughter, Sabrina, is six. Oh, yeah. She just lost her first two teeth. 
Um, <laughs> all, all the things are happening. Oh, and I also have a two-year-old, Eliza. So you are smack dab in the throes of parenting. Yes. Where I'm kind of on the tail end of it. You are just right, right in the middle. Two and a six-year-old. And so does it get easier? <laughs> Doesn't sound like it from the podcast, although I really very much appreciate all the expertise that you offer us. <laughs> well, I think, you know, one of the things that's really hard is that your life is constantly in transition. So when you've got uh, you know, a two-year-old and a six-year-old, like there's just no settling in because as soon as you figure them out, then they're moved on to another stage. And so you really have to become kind of highly adaptable. And I think living in this like highly transitory time is hard for a lot of people. Some people's personalities do it better than others, but I think there is a, the, that nature of it that that does slow down. So as they get older, they don't change as dramatically. It's not nothing new. You kind of know their personalities. And so it does get easier, I think, in, in a lot of ways. That just made me think how right now it feels like there are two different soundtracks just blasting in our house because, our, yeah, our children have such different tempos right now at these different mm. ages. And yeah, and they're constantly changing the songs. <laughs> I... That's a great metaphor. I guess it's just because my children are always fighting about Spotify and like what to play. Yeah. So that's probably why it's on my mind. But yes, I look forward to there being like a, at least getting through a whole song. <laughs> so thank you for that. When you have the same age span that I have, it's like four and a half years as my kids between mm -hmm. each other. And they are rarely on the same page at the same time. Yeah. <sighs> so it is two different soundtracks. <laughs> How did you feel like the podcast helped your parenting? As a parent, I, look, I had really low expectations for how I would be as a parent. That's I, uh, the opposite of me, and which is funny because you struggle with anxiety. I had the opposite expectation. I always thought that was the cause of my anxiety. Was wanting was like, to be a good parent? Trying, uh, thinking I was going to be perfect. Well, yeah, but you look at your background. Of course you were going to be exactly. perfect. Exactly. That's why I thought it was going to be so easy. And perfect. I avoided children at all costs. Like I was not... <laughs> That like to look at your background and all that you've done. I didn't realize I had any interest in early childhood education until the podcast. Mm. It, going back to your question about the podcast and how did that make me a better parent or just change my parenting? I was very ambivalent about becoming a parent. I wasn't sure I had it in me. And so I think because of that, I was fine reading books about parenting. I didn't get hung up on it, I, you know, because a lot of mothers will feel, you know, feelings of shame come up when they uh, read someone's material on, right. They think that this is like the shoulds and then they judge themselves based on that. And I am full of shoulds and I am full of self-judgment, <laughs> but I think the reason the why the podcast worked was because when it came to parenting, I had curiosity, but I never read the material or spoke to an expert and felt like, oh, this is the way I have to do it. Right. Or I'm not doing enough as I am. Like, that's kind of where I go. It's like, oh, I should be doing more. I'm not doing enough. There's a perfect way and I'm falling short. Mm -hmm. And so that's, yeah. you didn't go there. You listen to experts. 
And you're just like, oh, that's so interesting. Yeah, I'll try it that way was kind of my vibe. And that could come from my background as an actor where, you know, there's a bunch of different methods to acting and people will take it as gospel. And I was always in the camp of like, okay, well, I'm going to sort of have like a poo-poo platter of like what works for me. <laughs> a literal poo-poo platter some yeah. days. <laughs> yeah, with children it is, right? And so that's also why I was able to like jump camps and like speak people about different things. That I, you know, it's not a great marketing ploy because... <laughs> I'm literally like, here is a spectrum of possibilities instead of being like, this is my thing. Right. Um, Your interests are very wide. They are. They're wide. But I um, but I'll say the connection thing was has been the biggest. Like learning about attunement and learning really about attachment. Like obviously, like attuning with your child. But I think that that was the biggest game changer for me as a parent. Was really- so I haven't talked about attunement yeah. on the show, but so I'll just kind of define it. It's one of the things that, you know, child development experts say is like, it's the word they use to describe kind of the most important thing is for a parent and a child to be attuned or a parent to be attuned to the child. And so whether it's just kind of connected where you know who your kid is and you can separate out like your child's behavior from your identity of like, you know, I could be a good mom and have a kid who, you know, is wacky (laughs) or whatever, Uh you know, your judgment is, but you can like appreciate them for who they are and who they're showing themselves to be today without having an agenda or a kind of an idea of how they're supposed to be. So that's my definition of attunement. Would you agree with that? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. And I think it's also about, in addition, I find there to be the physiological connection where I have become much more aware probably because of, you know, my history of anxiety of sort of tracking both of our nervous systems. Like when I am energetically more calm or in a parasympathetic state Mm -hmm. and for listeners, the parasympathetic way that I remember what that means versus being in flight or fight, the parasympathetic is like the parachute coming down. That's how I visualize that. That's a good way to remember it. And so for me, that means my stomach relaxes. It'll like gurgle. It means those organs are able to start working again. When I am attuned to my child and I'm really thinking about my two-year-old right now, like even if I, let's say we had a really rough night, I will put on um, like, okay, so I have a few different tools I'll use, but one is an app called Insight Timer. And if I listen to a 10-minute meditation or a 15-minute meditation while my husband's getting the kids ready for school, if I come down in that more relaxed state, usually my two-year-old picks up on that. It's almost like she has an antenna for my energy. Mm -hmm. And I can help her also, you know, when they're younger, when you're trying to put them to bed at night, and they're seven months old. Like if I could really relax my body, then she will as well. It doesn't always work. Sometimes nights are hellish. And, and I don't want to put pressure on mothers 
because that can lead to anxiety too. I'm like, well, is she acting out like this because of my energy? Like, do I need to change how I am? And that's not true. But I think that I, I find that when I look at my, when I sense into my children, almost like if I'm watching one of those animal planet shows, like th- that I can, like we can be in a more relaxed state together. Does that make sense? Oh, totally. I, I think it's the, it's the mirror neurons that are in our brain that are tune into, you know, others where it's like, it's the thing that makes us smile when a baby smiles at you, you know, mm-hmm. and it's just like automatic response. You're, it's almost hard not to smile back when the baby's smiling at you. Right. So, we, we we use that when the kids are little, like it's so easy to in tune to babies. I, I think it's especially easy, like before they start talking. <laughs> and then as soon as they start talking, it's like, I think it just starts to where we project onto them or they yes. should be, they should obey me. They should do what I'm saying. They should be able to put their shoes on by themselves. Or we start to argue with them instead of attuning to them. But we get sort of used to this thing when they're little is like, they're so happy and excited when we come in the door and they're like, mommy, you're the best. I love you. And we kind of take the backseat role where you're just like, I can be happy if my kids are happy, you know, or like I'll be in a bad mood and then my daughter will give me a hug. And now I feel good again. And so it's kind of this passive role where what you're describing is really kind of taking the driver's seat role of saying like, I want my daughter to be calmed down. So I'm going to calm myself down first and let her kind of bounce off of me instead of, you know, me kind of using her to like lift my mood. Mm-hmm. And I highly suggest all moms do that. Sit in the driver's seat rather than the passenger seat and figure out how to do it before your kids turn into teenagers. Because if you're saying, I can't be happy until my teenager is happy, or I can't be relaxed unless she's (laughs) relaxed, then you are going to ride the roller coaster ride of high school right along with them. And middle school. Nobody wants to ride middle school roller coaster. Don't make me go back there. No, exactly. So figure this out. Do what Ellie's saying. Figure out how to calm yourself and then watch and just see if you notice a difference in your kids. Yeah. You know, I, I found because I, my mother has a lot of anxiety. Um, I feel anxious about sharing that. Um, <laughs> and she had a very, she has a very uh, high stress career. Mm. And growing up, I was very attuned to her needs and what was upsetting her and how I could try to not trigger that. And so, of course, when we have kids ourselves, all that comes up again. Man, it's crazy making. It's almost like when you get married, all the family drama comes out when you get married. It's so yes. bizarre. I'm right with the wedding it's and everything. So strange. I I can't, I still, I think I'm recovering from some of the bizarreness that presented itself (laughs) when I married my husband, you know, about the ceremony and where people were seated and blah, blah, blah. (laughs) And it's the same when we have these children, it's like, everything comes back up to the surface again. And it's a great opportunity to like excavate and pull out all those skeletons in our closet and do some healing. For sure. It it does come up. And so, man, is it rough as a 
an adult woman who grew up feeling like I had to be, it was just a smart idea to really be able to gauge the room and know, you know, what kind of state my parent was in and to try to calm that and in whatever way I could. But as an adult now with my own child who's screaming at me, it's a real uh, mind trip because I have to take a step back and breathe and realize that like, this is a two-year-old. Like, I don't need to fix this. It's okay mm-hmm. if she's throwing this fit. And it's it's not about fixing things, which is how I've just always been. And But it's about like, how can I support this little one? Because she's only two. So she's going to, there was a stage where she would bang her head on the floor. Mm. It freaked me out. And I had a great teacher, Janet Lansbury, who's a you know super popular oh, yes. podcaster. And she was on Atomic Moms many years ago. And uh, she had a class open up when Eliza was about seven months old, where I joined with Eliza. So that's been really fun. We do it on Fridays. And I was like, Janet, what do I do? She's banging her head on the floor. Like, I am someone who's been raised to like believe that I have to somehow like alleviate this or, you know, and I should say that's not my parents' fault. Like, that's just who I, that's just where I go. Yeah. But she was like, well, well, don't react to it. She's, the first time it's because she's having a real response. And the next time is she wants to see if you're upset or whatever. So it became about how can I fully accept that? This sounds insane. <laughs> I haven't shared this before. How can I fully accept that my child, um, how can I be there for her? Right. You can't be there for her if you're not in acceptance. If you're like, she shouldn't be doing yes, this. Exactly. She needs if to I'm stop right now. Or what does this mean about like, uh, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you're right. It's like, how can I be, I have to be in a state of acceptance in order to be there for her. And shortly thereafter, she stopped doing it. Right. And yeah, it's, it's all these subtle ways we can kind of fuel the fire and make behavior worse, or we can make it better. And I think that's what, you know, gets a lot of moms worked up is like, we kind of, you know, we know we have power. We know that like what we say, what we do, what we think, what we feel affects our kids. But sometimes we take that a little too far and we forget that like kids just bang their heads on the floor, <laughs> like you know, that that's totally normal. And, you know, we forget that it's like kids are going to throw tantrums and they have their personalities and they're, you know, I always say like the sign of good parenting isn't well-behaved children. It's weird children. <laughs> because if you, if your kids feel comfortable enough to be their wacky, weird selves and let their freak flag fly, mm-hmm. then you have done a good job of not imposing your, you know, ideas of how they're supposed to behave onto them. Mm-hmm. So instead of this idea of like, they're supposed to act perfect, be perfect. It's like, mm, maybe it's the opposite. (laughs) Maybe the weirder they are. And that's been also like a huge lesson for me over the years of the podcast as well. Like my own weirdness and accepting it and letting my freak flag fly. And, and what are the ways that I can, I had to really reintroduce play into my own life. And it's important 
Yeah. It was hard for me too. I was like, I don't know how to play anymore. I've kind of forgotten. But then I realized there's a book called Play by Dr. Stuart Brown. That's just awesome. I don't know if you read it, but Mm -mm. so good about the different play personalities. And it's like, well, just because you can't play trains, you know, or Barbies, does that mean you don't like to play? It's just, you have a different way. And I'm not crafty. I'm not artistic. Yeah. I'm not great at board games. (laughs) Oh, see, I love board games. See, that's how I play. You're strategic. (laughs) Yes. It's like, I got to use my, and puzzles, I can do puzzles, but you know, like kind of beating yourself up for not wanting to play what your kids play is just like one more way we kind of tell ourselves we're not good enough. We should be doing more and all that mm-hmm. beating ourselves up. So what do you think is the origin of your anxiety? Why do you think you have anxiety? Mm-hmm. I think it's probably early childhood. I think I have very high octane parents. They charge hard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Both of them do. And they got divorced when I was very young. And I think I am the only child that the two of them had together. And so I think there was. So if you want a recipe on how to create a kid with anxiety, you take someone who's naturally very empathic. You you know that, right? Very tuned in to others. And then you combine it with high octane parents, a divorce at an early age. And what was the last thing you said? Oh my God, I don't even know. I mean, just being an only child. Oh, being the only child. Yes, where you get all that attention. Or just sort of a lot of like alone time. (laughs) And a lot of alone time with your Well, there's no one to bounce off of, right? And so there was no way of saying like, well, is that kind of wacky? Like I was, it it feels so good to me that my daughter Sabrina has Eliza. Because like, I want them to have the ability to talk so much crap about us when they're older. Like they need to be able to commiserate about how wacky their mother is. <laughs> and I never had that. Right. You know right. what? I just think that that's, that would have no, been helpful considering there was a lot of changes happening yeah. um, in my early childhood. And, but knowing your personality, you probably would have saw that it was your job to take care of your younger sibling too. Oh, and that's true. Protect so her. So <laughs> I think it's, you know, it's like, I think we're just why, well, I think some of us have a, a predisposition for anxiety. And I think that I, I, totally I for sure do. So. And it and seems I, to go along with high empathy. Yeah. Well, that's what I'm also, I would love your thoughts on this because I think, you know, my parents obviously, they would wake up in the middle of the night with worries about things and fixate on other things. And so they definitely have anxiety as well. Mm -hmm. Um, But they are not, they're awesome human beings, but they don't, I I am like such an empath. Mm -hmm. I feel like becoming a parent, even more aware of that. And the more I calm down, the more aware I am of it. So I don't think anxiety and empathy always go hand in hand. I don't know. What are your thoughts? I think that if you don't learn to use it, it leads to anxiety. If you have a real, someone who's really good at training you how to use the empathy when you're young, like I never knew I had anxiety when I was young. I just thought this is what it felt like to be me. 
<laughs> right? And like you're saying your parents had is you probably thought, well, this is just normal, right? Well, yeah, is- it also means you're a winner, right? Like I like the Thanks. So. Yes. Because it's like, well, this matters to me. And also it can really propel me. It's like my in it was for so long my jet fuel for getting good grades and doing well and excelling. Yeah. And I didn't have that. I had anxiety for like, I can make people like me. Like, it's really important. I have to make sure everybody likes me and I do the right things. And so mine showed up more of like, I would, I thought it made me a good person. Like if I beat myself up for being five minutes late, then that meant I cared. Like I care about your feelings. Like if I, it was so much more about, <laughs> so here, try this. So close your eyes for a second. Okay. I want Closed. you to picture two dials in front of you. One of them is labeled me, and the other dial is labeled others. And you've gotten the notches from one to 10 on both of them. When you look at your me dial, what number would you say it's turned to? I don't want to say because then you're going to judge me. <laughs> a little anxiety. Just a little example. <laughs> I have performance anxiety. I fear of being judged by the most compassionate oh. life coach. Oh, yeah. And all your, yeah. Well, I have a feeling that the listeners that listen to the compassionate life coach, they're probably super, super judgy, judgy. Not <laughs> oh, it's everybody else at all. No, no, it doesn't, it's obviously, just, like people that are attracted to your work are also like, you know, phenomenal individuals. And it's not a right or wrong. It's not like you're oh, good or a bad okay, person. So out of 10, like how attuned am I to myself? Is that what's Cl- No, mm-hmm, close your eyes. Okay. See the knob. Yep. What number is it turned to? For myself, the not yeah. four. Your me dial four. So it's just a difference of like, I think you, that was such a good example of like thinking about it versus seeing it. So when you can just close your eyes and just see it and feel in this, like picture it, then you know you're tapped into like your higher self. Yes. Because our brains can like spin a yarn and we can tell ourselves any story we want to tell, right? Oh my God, there's so many liars up in there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm So your me dial's turned to four. So close your eyes. Take a look at your dial that's labeled others. And this is just other people's emotions, other people's opinions, other people's thoughts. What number would you say this is turned to? Seven. Yeah. So what you, what, one quick and dirty little thing you can do is you just keep your eyes closed and you try and turn up the me dial and see how high you can get it to go. Okay. What number can you get it to? Nine. Ooh, that's pretty high. How does it feel to have it at nine? Feels really good. I actually visualized like this, like bar. Maybe because we're doing all this technical stuff, but I imagined almost like when I edit the podcast. Oh yeah, yeah. Sound meter thing. It was like uh-huh. with these like red dashes went up. Like nice. <laughs> all right, and so now look at your other's dial and see if you can turn it down a couple notches. Okay. What number can you get it to? It's like a 4.5. Yeah. It does it feel, how does it feel? To have Better. It I'm excited because my therapist is always saying, like, get out of other people's heads. <laughs> now that I can visualize turning the dial down. It's such a funny little thing, but in, empathy is an invisible problem. And so invisible problems require invisible solutions. 
And so it, the way you know it's good for you is if it feels good. So I've coached people who have their me dial turned all the way up to 10 and their other dial turned down to two. Mm-hmm. So they have a different set of problems. Well, here's, okay. Here's my question. I feel like there was a stage in my life where that was me mm-hmm. and anxiety was a part of that. Mm-hmm. It became so, I'm thinking of how I was in high school and parts of college that there was almost a self. Uh, I also feel like in 2019, we have to be so careful what we say because apparently now it's out there forever. And so I don't want to like mislabel myself, mm-hmm. but very self-involved in my anxiety, right? Like it right. can also cause that. And when I was able through my tumor recovery and all the lessons I learned there and going, you know, doing a silent meditation retreat and really being attracted to ways of connecting with my higher self, which really did open up this reservoir of empathy that I think I was missing in my acting all along when I was doing that. Mm -hmm. I found the empathy when I turned down the anxiety, but then I end up, I don't know. I just went offline. It's funny. That means I was close to a real amazing truth. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> the internet, you mean, just went offline? No, no. Like my brain oh, went offline. Your brain went offline. <laughs> yeah, offline. Really so that would be weird if you're like affecting the energy no, of the well, airwaves. Like so that, cool. you really are connected. No, but I think this, yeah, I think I, I think you can. I, yes, you can be out of balance in both ways. And my hunch is, is that when you had the me dial turned up to 10 and the other yeah. dial turned down to two, that it did not feel good. No. And I'm so ashamed of like even thinking about that. I feel so bad for my college roommates. <laughs> we all feel bad for our college roommates. <laughs> Let's all sit down and write a letter to our college roommates and apologize. The person we were, we were back then. It's like... <laughs> Yeah, no, it's all embarrassing. But you're right. I turn. It's it's um, yes, turning up too much, and then so that is. Thank you, thank you for that tool. It's I'm definitely going to use that. You know, of like, and it could go change from day to day because otherwise we're too porous. Because I get you know too porous. It's a great way to look at it. It's like a mom who says like, okay, I'm going to take a break from my kids. Like I'm going to do it. I'm going to go, I'm going to go off by myself on a Saturday. And I'm just going to be alone because I'm so burned out. And then they go and they're just thinking about the kids the whole time. I know. Right. Or they're they're ruminating like on their bodies away, but their brain isn't. And so that's just a sign you need to turn down that other dial. If you're not being able to like just take a break and be totally present with, I would say, your brain and body in the same place, because mm. that's what feels good, right? And so just really kind of making sure that you're balancing out these two dials and figuring out what you need more of and what you need less of. If you are so angry and irritated with your kids all the time, and you are, you know, yelling at them and frustrated that they won't do what you ask them to do, maybe you need to turn your other dial up so that you can tune in like, what's going on for them? What is their motivation? Why don't they want to do their chores? How come you, you know, they, you have to nag them every day to get them to do anything so that you can kind of step into their shoes. But I think what we don't talk about enough as moms is this tendency towards being too much in everybody else's. What's everybody else going to think? You know, what are they feeling? I can't be relaxed until they're happy and taken care of. And mm. we just got to make sure we're in balance. That is such good advice. Now, you had a question you want, you emailed me. 
about you know, something oh, your daughter was, I was doing. Like, Look at, listen, if this is a free session for me, I'm going <laughs> to take <laughs> That's advantage. not what this was approached as, but I see it that way. <laughs> Always. That's what the I think people like to listen to others be coached. I do. I do, right? It's great. It's kind of voyeuristic. <laughs> yeah. um, okay. So here is, I'm going to read it like I'm writing in. Okay. Dear Tori, <laughs> it gives me so much anxiety when my two-year-old calls everyone dumb in a really mean way. It's the word you learn from a six-year-old sister. I get that it's not personal. I mean, she even says Minnie Mouse is dumb and Minnie Mouse is her BF for life. But other people get super wicked out about it. I tried not giving the word power by ignoring her name calling for a few weeks now, but it's really getting old. Okay. So uh, tell me why it bothers you. Hmm. Well, other people. I will say we were, um, we have a new nanny and she, it caught her by surprise. Mm hmm. And then I think when I saw her look of shock, then I started to go to that place of, yeah, my, my meter was way turned up on like reading other people's, mm-hmm. like what they could be feeling. If you were home alone with yeah, your daughter and she's like, that's dumb, that's dumb, it wouldn't bother you? No. And that's yeah. also, I'm like, well, you know, and I'm sure a lot of parents feel this way when we're, we're home in private, like we can be great parents in certain regard when it's when we're on the public stage of like the playground or drop off at school that suddenly things feel harder because I don't personally care that she says it the problem is when she's saying because I don't care if she says it to Minnie Mouse I don't care I don't I don't care if she says it to her sister or us right um I don't think it's you know some sign that she's hugely disrespectful she's two years old it's like a new word for her and it's exciting and it is very exciting to have a new word that's got power it's like if you say it right now dumb it's a fun word to say um (laughs) it's when she says it to another little kid Mm -hmm. and this whole introduction of preschool because now there's a whole class Okay, but I'm going to interrupt you because I think what's triggering it for you is when so I want you to picture the nanny Hearing your daughter say the word and looking at your nanny's reaction. Yeah. What happens inside you when you see that nanny? What do you feel? What do you think? What's your immediate reaction? Oh, no. (laughs) Um, I need to smooth this out. Smooth this out. Mm -hmm. And so when you see somebody, I mean, this is why. This is why being empathic causes anxiety is because when you see somebody else having a negative emotion, yep. your immediate reaction is, I've got to fix it. I've got to smooth this out. But because we can't control how other people feel, it's exhausting. It and so exhausting. we go into this, like, I need to fix your emotions. I need to make sure you like me. I have to make sure you're not judging me. I have to make sure that you think my child is a nice person. Like, I've got to make sure that. And so we kind of go into this fixing mode rather than just saying, well, you can feel however you want to feel. And I can feel however I want to feel because that's not your default. Yep. So, how do you want to feel about the fact that some people, are going to be offended by things your child says. Uh, I want to not care. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we got to pick a one word emotion. 
if I gave you a buffet table of choices that you get to feel how like when the platter, um, yeah, your poopy platter. <sighs> I mean, the word else. that comes to mind is apathetic, but that feels no. so like, <laughs> like I would love to feel apathetic about that. Right. Even though that sounds like a very negative thing to say. Right. It's like, if I gave you this whole buffet table of emotions, the one I want to choose is apathetic, but this is where we get stuck, right? We're like, I can't even imagine being happy when somebody else like has a negative emotion. Well, I mean, apathetic meaning like, I don't want to have any feeling about it. Right. But how do you, this is where I'm saying like, we're turning the me dial up. Okay. You get to choose the emotion that you feel. I guess I want to feel whatever emotion I'm feeling already and not be affected. Okay. So, so I don't about, want to feel happy because someone is right. Judging. Your that, yeah. How about peace? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Fine, Tori. <laughs> I love your word. Can you <laughs> take- see how different it is than apathetic? Yeah. But I think so yeah. many people say that, Ellie, I can't even tell you. And I'm like, how do you want to feel about this? I just like, want to not, I'm literally. I want to not feel. Care. I want to be neutral. I want to be apathetic. I want to I not want to care. take a nap. Because <laughs> I'm a tired mom. Um, it's really this way of kind of like avoiding, like taking, like sitting in that driver's seat and avoiding like our yeah. own authority of saying like, I get to choose how I feel when, because people are going to judge your kids. Let me just tell you. <laughs> So yes, people will judge. People still, I mean, I still cringe. You know, she's in high school and I'm driving her and her girlfriends to the volleyball games. And the things she says that come out of her mouth, it's like, oh my God, I would never. But you know what? They accept her for being her. You know, she's funny. She's sarcastic. She's goofy. But she's not super like polite and kind she doesn't care you know about other people's feelings so it's like oh so anyways this is gonna happen right and so you get to choose how you want to feel and so peace i think you could do great word i think you could go for amused Mm. that's kind of where i ended up i don't think i was there in the beginning but i've definitely ended up in amusement over oh who is this child that i've been given to raise yes Yes. But so much of it comes to like our expectation. Like I expect my daughter to like offend other people. I expect people to be, to judge her and to think, you know, that, but that's about them. You get to decide how you want to feel when other people are judging or looking Mm -hmm. at I love the choice of peace. So if you wanted to feel peaceful when that happens, how, what's the thought that you would need to think? You tell me, Tori. Um, <laughs> I, I there's so many. You yeah, one a few. One way I'll do it is I'll like take someone to like another area of their life where they feel at peace, and we can borrow a thought from there. So, like, you can say, like, okay, well, I feel pretty peaceful in, I don't know, like where I live. Okay, why do you like where you live? Well, it's beautiful. You know, it's. It's always pleasant. <laughs> I don't know if that would work for the two-year-olds. It's always pleasant. Probably wouldn't feel true. Um, but you could say like, nothing's gone wrong here. Like this is exactly how she's supposed to behave. Yes. Oh, this is my favorite tool for if you're really empathic. This is and you care a lot what other people think. My favorite thing is that 
we don't realize we can actually put other thoughts in people's heads and imagine what other people are thinking without them even knowing it. Like you could be like, oh my gosh, my nanny thinks my daughter is so funny. My nanny thinks my daughter is adorable. My nanny wishes that she could be as free as my daughter is to say whatever comes to her mind. You know, those other moms at the park think I'm such a good mom. Like you can walk through a park and be like, they think I'm the best mom. They're so jealous of me. Like it's... It's so weird because it feels so good. I was doing this at my job. I'm like, they are so lucky to have me here. They just think they won the employee lottery when they hired me. (laughs) And it's like, you know what? It makes me feel good. Yes. That reminds me of how I will, when my two-year-old's playing, she loves this baby doll and pushing her in the stroller. And it's kind of similar in that I'll say like, you are such a good mom, Eliza. That baby is so lucky to have you. Like, you're so, And it's like totally me just talking to myself. <laughs> yes, we can do that. And nobody has to even know. And we're just doing it to give us that sense of peace or amusement or whatever that actually makes us better moms. It's not mm-hmm. selfish. We actually act better when we feel oh, that way. Yeah. When we can fill our thoughts with that instead of the negative or these, you know, what I'm imagining that is negative that that person could be saying. When you were saying that about that this is a normal thing. I forgot the exact wording you used. I'm going to have to re-listen to this podcast so we can write it down. <laughs> um, but it made me think about how my doula with Eliza, she was a very funny character. She was a really fabulous doula, but she was bigger than life. And so maybe that's why she got away with saying this. Um, I don't think I would get away with saying this to someone, but she, any concern I would have, she would say, oh, honey, you bore me with normal. And, it, and so like, if it was someone else saying that it might sound patronizing or dismissive, but she was such a big loving presence mm-hmm. and she was so funny in the way that she said it, that that's, that now I'm thinking that could be another thing that could come up for me. It's just, you do like anytime Eliza did something outrageous that might offend other people potentially. It's like the like bore me with normal. Bore me with normal. Like I like it. My child saying the word dumb. You're like, oh my gosh, you bore me with normal. Yeah. Yeah. She's banging her head against the floor. So boring. (laughs) Bore me with normal. Every so many kids go through this. You bore it's normal. Yeah. It is. And we forget it when we're in it because we're just getting triggered, you know, and for you having somebody else be in a negative emotion is a big trigger for you. Yeah. And you also brought up in me this when you were saying fix it, like I had this moment of a defensiveness of like, but I'm not trying to fix the other person. And then I realized like, oh, I see what Tori's saying. Like I am fixed. I am trying to fix it within myself. Right. Of like, oh no, this isn't like, uh, like I, I don't need to fix her behavior. I don't need to be responsible. Like that kind of thing. Is that what you're saying? I think I was saying like, I get uncomfortable when other people are upset and instead of just letting them be upset. I think that if I change, if I modulate my behavior in some way, then they won't be upset. Right. And that's not true, but it is a habit that I have found. Yeah. That makes sense. Cause I'm not someone who is like, don't be upset. Like I'm, I've never, right. and I've never been that kind of parent. I've always, I'm, I know that you're not moving into their life and saying, this is how you need to act and behave. You're just like, "Uh uh-oh, they're not happy, so I better change something. Yeah. Like, 
I'll make the or I'll make this other thing go more smoothly. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's mm-hmm. a lot. Let me smooth it out. Yeah, I'm gonna, which isn't necessary. <laughs> that's like being reactive to other people's yeah needs and wants, right? So you just got to turn your knee dial up and then choose up. how you want to feel. Yeah. So now, Ellie, I love how you end your show. Would you end our sh- interview today in the same way that you end your podcast? For sure. Until next week, trust in your goodness, live out your greatness, rock on, Atomic Moms. Yay. And I'll add on, rock on, Super Moms. <laughs> Thanks so much, everyone, for listening. This was great. Want a free life coaching session? Go to lifecoachingforparents.com and schedule yours today. And thank you so much for listening. I would love it if you would subscribe and share these podcasts with your friends. If you have a question you'd like me to answer on the air, go to lifecoachingforparents.com slash record my question and you can send me a voicemail recording or write me an email and I'll answer it on the air. Thanks again. Have a great day.